Hello and welcome back to part three of episode four of Lime Ninja Radio, and let's get right to it. We need to get loud, you know, and I think that's a part of the worldwide Lime protest. You know, you've gone from one country like America to now there is not just the Americans, there's the Europeans, there's the Australians, there's, this is all around the world. Our voices are increasing and we will increase to a level where, where they can't ignore us. But if I stopped fighting or if I stopped, you know, Lisa and I were like, well, let's just do the worldwide Lyme awareness and, and one one website each. We'll return. We won't do as much. Yeah, well, not as much is, is still a lot. But um, we're, I know for me, if I couldn't do anything, you know, talking about the, the suicide and, and I mean, I, I, I'm an atheist. I'm, if I had to choose a religion, I would choose Buddhism, um, which is karma, you know, what goes around sort of comes around. Um, but I seriously, I spent two years housebound. I spent 12 months of that in bed. Um, I have three children. I have said to my three children, if I'm ever in an accident and I'm on life support, love me enough to turn that off. Um, I choose not to live that way. You know, um, there was a time where I seriously considered I lived near the mountains, driving to the mountains and not coming home because I did not want to be a burden. You know, I did not want, there is a difference between living and existing. Mm-hmm. Um, when you exist, and my existence was 20 hours a day in bed, I chose, my my choices were I either eat that day or I have a shower that day. I had, I could not do anything else. If I, if I tried to do anything else, I would fall down. I didn't have, there was no muscle strength. There was no energy to do anything else. I realized from my treatment in the UK, the 20 hours a day was st- from the brainstem inflammation. All my body had left to do was to keep my heart beating. You know, that's why I was so chronically, you know, it seriously crossed my mind that being dead would be better for myself and my children. I wouldn't be a burden, you know. Um I consider myself lucky in the fact that the level of pain I have, which is more in the American population, um, because, you know, the different species actually affect different parts of the body. So the Borrelia burgdorferi, the sensorostricto American strain, is more of an arthritic pain. You know, you have people who are losing bones. It attacks the bone. You know, they've had hip reconstructions, knee reconstructions and things like that. So... The left-hand side of my leg was, you know, someone asked me once what the pain was like and I'm like, well, you know, cut, take all the flesh off your body, off your leg, set your bone on fire and then encase, encase it back again. That's kind of what it was like and nothing you can take can get rid of that pain. So, And I only had that in one leg, so I consider myself very lucky. I think a lot of the people that do take their lives are the ones, especially it's, it's especially prevalent in America where the senso stricto strain is more prevalent and the bone pain and just the chronic pain. But it is intense to be in pain day in and day out. And a lot of people are doing this for years and years and years. So, you know, I think that's what I want people to understand. If someone chooses that route, they don't choose it just because it's an easy way out. They choose it because they're in hell, you know. So, and that's my thing. And, and with theatre, 
I guess I'm I'm fiercely protective of her and Red Shoe Day means the world to me, as I said to Lisa, because not only, you know, I knew theatre as someone to talk to, um, we didn't communicate a lot. We mostly communicated on her page and in the groups. She was 10 years older than my daughters, you know, so it's, this is, I just look at Carol and I think, you know, this is, this is a mum that's lost her child that struggles so much to get through this and, you know, to actually have something and to have just means a heck of a lot for her that her life meant something for Red Shoe Day. And I think it means a lot to a lot of people just to be able to acknowledge their loved one. doesn't matter how they passed, whether, you know, so. And it, it's, I mean, I have friends who are wearing the red shoes for me, as in, you know, they haven't been in the Lyme community, but because they know I've lost people from them and they're my friends, they're, they're wearing their red shoes and respecting the fact that this means something to me. So, you know, it, it's kind of a way also, I think, to bring our healthier friends in and, and, and have them realise one of the things with it is, you know, and this is where, I don't know, we sometimes with getting so angry on the posts and that I try and, and have other people on my page, on my personal Facebook page, I try and at least do one inspirational post each each day, you know, and say to people, one of my, my you know, she's from, she's in Italy. She's like, oh, you're, you always post you know, because I said to her, I'm a Miss Pollyanna. I'm always looking to the positive, as Lisa is, you know. And I'll post something and she'll be like, oh, do I have to Do I have to smile today? I'm like, yes, you do. I'll get off my page. You know, it's constantly, and I think Lisa does the same thing. She has silly questions on her page. It's this is how we, even when you're not talking to people, try not to bring doom and gloom and try and raise awareness in ways where people and the general public want to become involved or at least acknowledge it rather than being angry and shouting about the unfairness of the situation because life's unfair, let's face it, you know, life's a bitch <laughs> in any way, shape or form. You know, someone could have just lost their job. It, it's not just unfair to Lyme people, you know. it's it, Life is so if we can get people to sort of go, look at it in different ways, then we can actually have healthy people help us in our, you know, help us get the word out there. Lyme's not the only invisible illness. And that's another thing with Red Shoe Day. We're trying to bring together, unfortunately, within the Lyme world, you do have a few people that go, ME is Lyme or CFS is Lyme or fibromyalgia is Lyme. So you've got these people going, you know, if someone comes up with fibromyalgia, they can go, you don't have fibromyalgia, you have Lyme disease, go and get tested for it, rah, rah, you know, so they can get quite. So what one thing we're trying to do, Lisa and I have both agreed, and Lisa's contacted some of her friends, Frankie and um, jo Joni in the, in the Invisible Illness community, we're trying to bring together the ME, CFS, the whole Invisible Illness community and say, this is for invisible illnesses and I, I did up a, you know, on the page, on Red Shoe Day page, I did up a, so, uh, what do you call that, example? Not an example, a description <laughs> of invisible illnesses. Uh, so we can say this, this is not about labels. Invisible illnesses basically those that are ignored by proper research and treatment. 
So, you know, let's not, let's not, um, we can, we'll get so much more if we all, you know, work together and, and down the track eventually. And when I, when I go over to, I'll be spending Red Shoe Day with Carol, um, Theatre's mum and her brother. And when I go over there, we'll be looking at further down the track doing a foundation and trying to, you know. And Worldwide Lyme Borreliosis Association, um, I just founded that in Australia. And hopefully once we get that, we have to, I said to Lisa, we have to do it step by step. So we've just gone to an official, we've put the paperwork in for an official incorporation. Congratulations. So, yes, once we do that, then we can get charity status and then we can get the UK thing happening. So it's all step by step. We have to do it. And, of course, Lisa and I are novices, so we're not sure if we're doing it in the right steps, but we'll get there. (laughs) One step Uh, at a time. Yes. We've come pretty far. I think it's the first website that's an international Lyme website that I know of. You know, what we have on our website is no matter what country you're 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 in you can go there and click on it and it will tell you what support groups are in your country or what websites are relevant to your country so um and we're working with um Lyme activists from all over the world so they they can send us the information and we can keep it updated for them in each country so that if there's an event going on in their country or you know in any kind of like support you know that we can help them find we just list it on our website so if somebody like just finds out, oh, I just I think I have Lyme disease, but I have no idea where to go and you know in Brazil, they can click on Brazil and it's going to tell them you know websites relevant for their country and support groups and you know anything relative to Brazil you know. So that's what we're hoping is just to offer international support. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. I've just speaking to a Lyme support group leader and. Uh, the group is unaffiliated with anything unofficial. And I think there are a lot of these uh, grassroots and bootstrap groups out there. And to have a clearinghouse would just be phenomenal. So I'll encourage people to send their information along. Yeah, yeah. we're just trying to support everybody. Like, we're, you know, that's what we're hoping is that just globally, anybody, they'll have like a one stop place, you know, where they can go to find you know, we'll list the support groups and we'll list that and then they can, you know, then get that information. Just, yeah, just to begin, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it come out last year. Last year? Was it only last year? When we started working on the Worldwide Lyme Protest with, with Charlotte, you know, we started doing a lot of those different different ones and, and a lot of the questions on the pages were posted onto the Worldwide Lyme page was, where do I get help here? Where do I get help there? Where do I get help here? You know, there was a lot of questions. And I, I said to Lisa after last year, after that one, you know, there's so many people that don't know where to get help in their own country. Are you willing to do this? You know, should we do this website? Are you willing to jump on board? Because I, you know, I knew it was such a big job that I couldn't do it by myself. And Lisa gets a heck of a lot. We work well together. She gets all this information up and I format it all. So you know. Sharon has the brilliant ideas and then I just jump on the bandwagon. <laughs> no, it's not how it works. She can, she gets all, we sort of, you know, I'm like, are you going to join me with this? And she's like, yes. And I'm like, cool, all right, let's do it. And so we founded it. Um, because this woman can get so much information up, but then I just go through and I format it and I, I'm the, I make it all pretty and then go and make sure we haven't missed anything. And 
It's perfect. So we do work well together. And I say to her, I hope you don't mind. I've changed this around. She's like, you know, I've got Lyme, bread. I don't even know if you changed. <laughs> I'm glad she does all that stuff. I like to put the information on there and she makes it all pretty. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. So we, we work, we work that way. So red shoe. Oh, we go back to red shoe day. So red shoe day will, um, we, we're looking at, we hadn't sort of, we, we, we talk about the different things, but um, we'll probably on the 25th also have, it's, 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 a, it's a question where we try and work out, are we going to dilute it if we have, like we've got the Facebook event page, do we then have a blog up on the website where people can list their messages as well, but is that going to dilute what's going to happen down here? You know, we could do what we did for Theta's Red Candle Day and have everybody post everything on the event and then we could copy it all over to the website so that there's like a permanent place. You know, that's up to you because the blog idea is really cute too. So I'm talking about that. You know, I think either one would be okay. See, I don't yeah. know. She has the good ideas and I'm so wishy-washy. <laughs> no, I think it's a legitimate question. The, the truth is you don't know until you do it and you just you would hate to lose the impact of it by having things kind of spread out. Yeah, and that's it. And because Lisa's, even though she says she's wishy washy, she I don't know how she does it. There's two of her or something. In <laughs> <laughs> candle day, I am Gemini. <laughs> <laughs> Within a day, all the pictures have gone from Facebook to the website. I'm like. How the heck did you do that so fast? I'm OCD. OCD. Once I start a project, like I will sit there if it takes me 10 hours until I finish it. I can't sleep until it's, it's done. Then I'll go through and I say to Lisa, I know you're the same way. (laughs) You've got all these pictures up there. Okay. All I'm going to do is there's, you know, three or four of them are from her mum and her dad and her boyfriend. So I want to take them out and put them up the top so people and you know, I write the airy fairy discussions. <laughs> I make it pretty, she does the work. So Karen Karen never does like gives herself enough credit because she does like so much. She just <laughs> like she I'll be talking to her and it'll be like four in the morning her time. And she'll say, Okay, I have to go to bed because I have a a medical license exam in an hour. <laughs> And then like three hours later, she's taken the exam and she's still on Facebook working on our website. <laughs> I don't think she sleeps. Oh, she's like sleep. totally we- amazing to work with. Seriously. She's like so awesome. And I think we both have that ADD, OCD quality where we, <laughs> we see something that needs to be done. And then we talk to each other real fast and then we just get it done, you know, done. and it's, Yeah. Yeah, and it is. I think it's a mutual, a mutual love. <laughs> and we have fun doing it. Like we can joke around, and we'll call each other, and our, our phone calls go from so and so passed away to how's your boyfriend doing? To you know, like it's like we can just jump around, and talk about absolutely anything, anything. And I hope one day we get to meet. And I think, and and that's it. The whole thing of it comes from we're so similar, and the fact that we do this. We both, you know, the, there is a lot of similarities out, you know, the, the, we have, we both have three kids. We both, you know, love our kids to bits. All of this is about, you know, the fact that we want to for our, you know, kids and grandkids, which I don't have any yet. Lisa now has one. But, but, but yeah, our lives are so similar on the same path. The next generation facing this and it's about helping people. And we're both crazy. You've got to be crazy, you know. I mean, I was crazy enough once to let an acupuncturist put, you know, needles in my face. 
never before had I gone to acupuncture when I got Bell's palsy from the Lyme. Yeah. So that was my first first experience of acupuncture. So I did find it worked, but um, didn't know at the time it was Lyme. But um, yeah, so I don't know. I think we work well together because we have the same, you know, within Lyme world, you can get, there are so many egos, even within activism, even with those that say they want, you know, Lyme recognized. We're all human. Oh, it's like, and I guess that's where we, we go together well, because it's, we have a laugh, we have a joke, but ultimately we work with anyone, even if they're, you know, even if they are horrid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be, I'll be curious to say what you say about me after after the call's over. My God, why did we agree to this interview? <laughs> I also mentioned about this for a week. <laughs> and we we have been talking now for an hour 15 minutes i'm not going to include all of the conversation as i well, <laughs> it's 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 just too long so i uh hopefully i'll get all the good parts i would love to do this interview in about another year sure and uh well, ma- make it maybe an annual event because i'm i'm going to be around doing this Awesome. I think that's the only way we're going to beat this is the voices. I mean, you know, a lot of, I say to a lot of people, uh, what some of the Australians don't realise is that, you know, we're sort of where America is, you've got your states that, that do recognise it, you've got some of the states that do recognise it, you've got a heck of a lot of states that don't recognise it. So we're kind of in that position here in Australia. We need it recognised. We need to have it acknowledged that you can get it here. But unfortunately, a lot of Australians think that, that once we get that recognition, we'll be okay. They kind of don't really, they haven't got the politics of it where once we get that recognition, our next fight is with the IDSA. The IDSA controls those treatment guidelines right around the world. They also control the testing guidelines. Our, I did a counterpoint argument. I'm not sure if you got a chance to read any of my research on the website, but my counterpoint argument was that in Australia, for some reason, the Australian government decides to go with the CDC guidelines and test to test according to what CDC says, which is to follow the Western Bloc criteria of America, um, which is five, you need five bands to be positive. Right. Um, whereas European guidelines state one or two bands and you're positive. So right. why are we following CDC criteria when all of our animals were imported from Europe? So we still have a lot of problems to go with the testing and then we still have a lot of problems to go with the treatment. So... You know, we're a long way, and that's where I think in a lot of people, so even in Europe, I mean, Germany, they know there's close to a million cases there each. Well, that's what they're, you know, there's so many cases over there, but they're stuck on the IDSA guidelines. As well. Everywhere, uh, yeah. everywhere is, is the IDSA six-week guidelines. I mean, even some people thought when I went to the UK for treatment, oh, okay, you go to the UK for treatment, that must be a good thing because they can do however long they want. No, they're a private clinic the UK still has problems because they can only get, according to their NHS, you can only get six weeks treatment. I've read paperwork or research articles which show that um, it's in all the animals in, in the London parks, but they can't make that public because that would affect their tourism. God forbid you have less tourism, you know. 
and people go on holidays and they you know some friends just went to germany for treatment or they and they go to see europe for a little bit afterwards and they're posting all these pictures of squirrels and i'm like stay away from the squirrels you know you really <laughs> <laughs> all i see is reservoir host because your mice your white-footed mice in australia is your squirrel is is your, your primary um, reservoir host, your red squirrel is the next one. Right. You know, the squirrels are, are carry Lyme disease. Right. Um, they're all cute squirrels. No. Right. Well, the, <laughs> disease it's right. It's not an, it, it's probably not avoidable, but if we can get the recognition and just get the antibiotics early, it doesn't have to be devastating. And then exactly. you don't have to deal with what, what you ladies have dealt with. I, I was bit, uh, about 10 years ago, uh, quite a ways from my home, but I was visiting friends about an hour and a half, uh, away, actually two and a half hours away and, uh, felt terrible. I, I did a workout afterwards and just the combination of, uh, t- too much working out and being a little bit sick. I had all the flu symptoms and I'd never felt the flu like this one. And then about three days in, I got the bullseye rash. And the funny thing about that, so my wife had done uh, some public relations work in public health. So she had heard about Lyme disease and we had talked about it and, you know, just knew about the rash. So I saw the rash and I instantly felt better, which is a strange thing. But I was just so relieved to know what it was. So I can't imagine from your point of view going all those years and not knowing what it is. So I felt better, went to the ER, and thank goodness the ER doc said, okay, here's here's a couple weeks of antibiotics. Now, I didn't know anything about two weeks versus six weeks and all this other stuff, but I was young enough and healthy enough that that turned the tide. And maybe I have some chronic issues here and there that you could chalk up to line, but for the most part, you know, I dodged the bullet big time. And the, when they finally got the test recall results, of course, they were negative, right? But um, at that point, it didn't matter. Yeah, because a bullseye rash is 100% diagnostic, you know, of Lyme disease. But that, right there, that proves how inaccurate the tests are, that you had a bullseye rash and still had a negative test. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and I guess for me, I mean, I was, I was diagnosed, I self-diagnosed, uh, 2000, 2010, and that was Bell's palsy in 2009. And unfortunately, I had a trainee doctor who had kept me on steroids for four months. Oh, no. Up. Yeah, so she put me in into a world of hell. Oh. Um, so because then she sort of went, oh, you've been on for too long, and she took me off. Them. So she also induced adrenal insufficiency. So I, I went from... Studying, I went from 18 hours of that studying, working, three kids, dancing to I'm still at the point where I can't. Um, I'd love to be able to dance and listen to music. I'd love to be able to. I have severe um, noise and so- sound, um, like I can't be in in public. But I mean, I'm doing better. Two years ago, this conversation would never have been. You know, two years ago, I couldn't talk for more than five minutes. So. I am doing much better, but she took me to a world which I didn't know existed. But I am a believer that things happen for a reason. Um, if she hadn't have given me the steroids for four months, I may have just thought the Bell's palsy was due to the minor car accident that I had, which I did originally. Um, 
And then I was so sick, I thought, yeah, this is the adrenaline sufficiency. And then I went and saw, you know, a couple of different specialists until one sort of said, it's not normal, it's not normal, it's not normal. And then, uh, but, but, and I was, I kind of, I was writing a letter to this se second specialist I saw and I said, I understand you're saying something about underlying autoimmune. And I went, okay, well, if I'm saying I understand what you're saying, what is autoimmune? What's underlying autoimmune? So I started Googling and this Lyme disease come up and I went, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Everything is there, you know, the stabbing, the burning, the tremors, the muscle weakness, you know, all this sort of stuff. It's, it's you know, I, at one stage there I, I fell down the stairs once and that's I blacked out top of eight stairs and fell down the stairs, hurt all my leg and but I said to my daughter, why does it have to be my one sore leg? And typically, like, something I would have said to her, she's like, well, it's, at least you've still only got one sore leg. At least you've still got one. <laughs> but um, the thing then when I, I tracked back and I went, you know what, I remember the tick bite. Yes, it's Lyme. And then I went back even further and I went, but hang on, I was losing. I'd lost that 15 kilos of weight before I moved into this house. And then I went backwards and I went backwards till 2003 when – my daughter had a unexplained rash, which we now know is an EM on her face. So all my children have Lyme, hence, you know. But um, at varying degrees because, you know, their immune system's being able to keep it under control. Um, but if we had have known, if Lyme had have been acknowledged in this country back in 2002 right. when she presented with that rash, the doctors would have known what it was. Right. She could have got the treatment. At that time, I sort of had a rash that would come and go on my thigh. I would have known what that was, you know. So it's not part then, of the differential diagnosis. It doesn't fit into their chain of, of of differentiating diseases, and so it just gets completely lost. And to be to become the doctor's worst nightmare is come in and diagnose yourself. That's the last the last thing they want to hear is yeah. I, so I was reading on the internet. Well, I I mean I went to. When the, the doctor that kept me on steroids for so long, uh, that clinic ended up saying, you're just depressed, you're this, that, right. you're this, right. and that. And I'm like, I raised three kids, finished my last degree, top of my class. I've got an APA scholarship worth $100,000 to do my PhD. I'm doing my PhD. I've just, my kids are just old enough that I'm now out dancing on a Friday night. Yep, I'm depressed. I've just chosen this point in my life to become depressed. Um so I went to the next, I went to another doctor's clinic and I said, they've had me on steroids. They said, I don't have adrenaline sufficiency because my sodium and potassium are okay. They uh, haven't tested my ACTH and my cortisol. Could you please test my ACTH and cortisol? I'm pretty sure they've, you know, induced adrenaline sufficiency. She tested that. Sure enough, ACTH is at five and cortisol is at 50. You know, I'm adrenaline sufficient. So then she, so this was my first experience with my doctor in February 2010. She must have thought I was insane. You know, like I'm sitting there with her sometimes and something would, she's like, are you okay? I'm like, no, Chinamen have got knives and they're stabbing me in the legs. You know, like <laughs> all these different random symptoms I would come up with. You know what it's like, Lisa, one minute you're fine, the next minute you're bad. Yeah. And some, my face would be burning. I, I would tell her so many different symptoms. I'm surprised she didn't. And then when I worked out Lyme, I went in the very next day to her and I said, look, look at this. It fits. You know, whether you said to me you're crazy, Karen, or not, all of these symptoms are right here. So she's 
she's been very supportive. You know, she couldn't give me. She's kept me on um, a lot of different, a lot of the same sort of standard dose oral antibiotics. She couldn't really treat me on a lot of high dose stuff. I believe she kept me out of a wheelchair because we. St- I stopped taking them at one point for a while and couldn't walk for a few days, so I had to sort of, you know, get stuck back into them again. But because she was prepared to give them to me at a, you know, a standard dose. Um, even though there's no Lyme in Australia, you know, somebody, she treated me for different this or different that. I had this infection one week or this infection the other week. So, you know, I seriously, from stopping them and, and what happened, she kept me above board. It cost me my 21-year-old daughter at the time. She was 20, 21, took out a $15,000 loan, and my father gave me 20000 so I went overseas for the treatment, which mm. got me before I went couldn't go to, couldn't leave the house I couldn't walk more than 100 meters and I could barely talk most days so forty thousand dollars gave me my life back but um, you know why should we have to what I don't talk about a lot in the Australian Lyme support groups as, as a unless someone inboxes me and said what do you do because not a lot of people can afford that sort of treatment right you know right. I was lucky that I had family that could support that treatment right you, there are so many people that their family walks away from them. And I think that's another thing with, you know, their family walks away and they don't, you're not sick. Lyme, the government tells us that um, that's a lot we face here in Australia. The government says, you know, um, six weeks treatment and you're all better. You don't want, no one believes you that you can be that sick because surely if you were that sick, your government would give you the treatment that you needed. There are a lot of sheep in Australia, and they don't all have wool, huh? <laughs> well, I think Lisa's been through the what you've had a stroke, and you've been through the the better better side and come out again. Yeah, I went through my own dark dark stages a couple of times. Um, whereas I stopped eating once for I don't even know how long, and I just. That was after my stroke. I, I was bedridden. I couldn't be upright. I couldn't sit and I couldn't stand. And doctors could not tell me why. And they totally rejected me. And even though they ordered physical therapy and my physical therapist had Lyme and she told me, you need to be doing this at home. She goes, there's no reason not to get an order because I fainted when she was trying to do stuff with me. I have pots and my blood pressure drops really quickly uh, Yep. and it makes me faint. And she said, there's no reason we can't be working with you at home. And my general practitioner refused. She refused and said, there's no reason I can't come to the office to get the care. And I got to a point where I'm like, friends reject you. I was lucky enough where my family didn't, but I know most Lyme's go through that. It's so isolating and rejecting this disease, you know. But I was like, doctors can't help me. And I just went through a five-month period of just laying in bed staring at the walls. Like, I just, I wouldn't eat. I went shower. I went brush my teeth. I just lay there waiting and trying to die. Like I had kids. My kids were still young at that time. So I I couldn't do anything that was going to traumatize them. But I thought if I just slowly died. And so I would, I was trying not to eat. And like my youngest daughter, my oldest daughter was already off at college. My son was busy in school. My youngest daughter started to notice. I, I got pretty skinny and stuff. And she started like leaving sandwiches by my bed and doing all these little things because she, she could see what was happening, whereas nobody else did around me. You know, my family, they're busy in their lives. I don't think anybody ever once, like, came to check on me or anything. 
my husband at the time, he, he was at work. And then after work, he'd go and take care of two terminally ill friends he had that had cancer. Because cancer gets, you know, a different, yeah. whatever you want to say, than Lyme. And so yeah. it's like he would go take care of them. And I just lay at home like I couldn't get up to pee by myself. I had a bucket, like a little garbage can on the side of my bed for me that I would go in. My daughter would help me get up and try to go to the bathroom, but I can only be upright for a couple minutes. To this day, I don't know why. Um, After the stroke, I was left with this feeling of like, it felt like something pulling between my neck and my heart. And every time I try to sit or stand, I would get this pain and tension between my neck and my heart and my heart would start racing so bad I'd collapse. So like trying to just go to the bathroom and get back to bed in like a 30 second. It's your vagus nerve. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And, and whenever I would actually pass out, because I did sometimes pass out, they would just call it, you know, oh, you had a vasal vagal attack. But I'm like, yeah, but what is causing those attacks? Like, <laughs> please help me. And, you know, you guys order three days a week of physical therapy, but expect me to get there. How can I get there if I can't even sit up? Right. Oh, man, my mom would try to transport me to like to the doctor for like to get like an EMG test or whatever. And she'd have to lay the car seat down, put blankets up so that it was completely even. Because I had to be like even. I couldn't right. be bent at all. Else, I would start getting these fainting right. attacks. Yep. Yeah. So I know I've been through the ringer, and I've wanted to die. And you know, honestly, the thing that helped me was was juicing. When I found out about juicing, I watched the documentary "Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead," and I had already done six years of antibiotics. I'd done the herbs and salt sea protocol and rifing i've I've done everything and maybe all that helped a little or i don't really know if it did or not i was just so sick i couldn't function anymore and that's all i knew and after five months of laying in bed waiting to die and nothing happening i thought okay god still has a purpose for me here or the universe or or however you want to put it because i wasn't dead you know and i'm like so if i'm gonna be here i'm not gonna waste space and i'm gonna and i had like an epiphany inside myself where I was like, why am I waiting on doctors to make get me better? Obviously, they're not going to. Right. So I started to take it back in my own hands. I started meditating. I started doing balancing chakras, you know, just doing all these little different things I could do to help myself and to motivate me, you know. And then I watched some documentaries on juicing, and I'm like, you know, since I have such bad reactions to meds, why not try it? Because mm-hmm. diet has never been easy for me to change, you know. I like my chocolate. But so... <laughs> Juicing like was like a miracle for me. I'll, I'll always be sick. I think I, I don't have the feeling I'll ever get better. And I my symptoms are more neurological than anything. But when I juice, I went from not leaving my apartment in three years to now I travel. You know, I go out east every year to meet my Lyme friends. I can run to Walmart. I shower every day. <laughs> I cannot tell you after the period I went through of like, several years at least six years where i'd shower like once every couple weeks because as soon as i stood up i felt like i was gonna faint as soon as hot water hit me it was like my legs would get all rubbery and jello-y and i'd be like i'm gonna pass out but to this day i still half the time have to sit down in the shower i can't stand in the shower without feeling like i'm gonna pass out but you know i'm not perfect by far i'm still have really sick days but I also have some good days and I'm definitely functional. I can cook on my own. I can shower daily. I can run to Walmart if I want to. I travel a couple of times a year. You know, it, it's not 
easy, but it's definitely better than I was. So anybody who is like thinking like this is it, I can't do this anymore, just know that it it can change. You know, everybody responds to different treatments differently. I don't try to push any one treatment on anybody because I know some people get better with antibiotics. Some people get better with herbals and some, most people have to use a mixture of a lot of different things, you know, so whatever works good. I don't, somebody told me standing on my head naked in the middle of the street would work. (laughs) I would try it. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like, you have to do whatever works for you. And I guess that's the bottom line, you know, on this stuff. And that's one of the infuriating, infuriating things about this disease is, Everything works for some people, yeah. And then some of the time, so yeah. you have it. Really, is a personal journey, and it's a personal journey of self responsibility and self discovery. And if you're not willing to to leap out on that journey, you know you don't stand a chance. And then what you ladies so beautifully bring to the surface is even if you do all this stuff, sometimes it doesn't work out. That's it, and. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, for me, I went to the UK. Um, I had two years, two years in bed. You know, a lot of things at least. But I didn't have vertigo to, to a degree. Pots, not to that degree that listed, but my vertigo. What I found in the UK, and a lot, a lot um, one thing I found in the UK was... Um, Carbon oxygen cycle goes out of whack. So the, the longer you're sick, the more the bugs change your environment. You know, your body is their environment now. They want it as habitable to, as to what they want. So if you've, if you've only had Lyme for, say, six months or 12 months, yeah, maybe popping some pills or taking some herbs or doing this or doing that might work, you know, but the longer you're sick. But for me, I was... Okay, gave me the chance to sort of travel again. I only travel when I can travel with and stay with other Lyme patients or stay, you know, at a hotel or something like that because I still do have my multiple chemical sensitivities. My kid took me out for um, Mother's Day, which was awesome to be out in public, but three hours in public, um, the surroundings of lights and, and the voices and the people meant for the next, you know, that it was like symbols playing in my head. It was this constant. There's always payback. There's always payback. But you actually appreciate the fact. I wouldn't give up that three hours out and about for Mother's Day for the world, but it meant for the, the three or four days after there was, you know, my head was it was on water and was banging these symbols, the, the, the constant noise in the head. But previously I couldn't, couldn't have been able to do that, so I'm grateful for the fact that I can now do that. It's been so lovely to talk to you, ladies. Lisa. Yeah, thank you so much for doing this interview. That's awesome. Yeah, I appreciate you taking so much time out of your uh, very busy days and to help somebody who's just getting started in the Lyme community. Uh, and I hope to be able to repay your kindness someday. Oh, you, you don't have to repay us anything. This, is, Like Karen said, we get paid in karma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You got a lot coming your way. <laughs> Good to talk to you. Yes. Thanks so much. Cheers. Thank Thanks you. Bye-bye. Bye. That concludes part three of our interview with Karen Smith and Lisa Hilton about their project Red Shoe Day, which is coming up this Friday, July 25th. 
So please go out and show your support and remembrance for those who have lost the battle with Lyme disease and uh, wear red shoes and spread the word. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments or feedback, please let us know. We can be found on iTunes. You can also get uh, our recordings on our website, which is LimeNinjaRadio.com. And Aurora, if they want to leave feedback, what's the email address? The email address is feedback at LimeNinjaRadio.com. Okay, and please leave us some feedback. We really love to hear from you and how we can make the show better. Thanks for listening and good night. Bye-bye, everybody. Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.